Open your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 22. Be looking together tonight at verses 24 through 30. Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Beginning in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words as we draw to the close of Luke's record of your earthly life, we pray that we would listen carefully to these words you spoke long ago to your disciples and would speak afresh tonight to the disciples of our generation. Lord, help us to put on Christ and serve you well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of us are quite familiar with some of the men, at least, that God used greatly in what we refer to as the Great Awakening, beginning around 1740. And certainly two of the most prominent men of those days were George Whitfield and John Wesley. The interesting thing was that Whitfield was an avid Calvinist, and Wesley was an avid Arminian. So when it came to the theological issues of election and predestination and the nature of the atonement, Whitfield and Wesley were at opposite ends of the theological spectrum. On one particular occasion, a woman came up to George Whitfield and said, Mr. Whitfield, do you think you're going to see John Wesley in heaven? And he said, I don't think so. The woman was absolutely shocked. She said, do you mean to tell me you don't think Arminians will go to heaven? And Whitfield said, that's not it at all. John Wesley is going to be so near to Christ and the throne, and I'm going to be at the back 
of the room. I'll never get to see him. My friends, that is a striking example of a great man. Whitfield was greatly used by God in the conversion of thousands upon thousands of people. And yet this man knew what it was to count himself as one of the lowest servants in the kingdom of God. I wonder about you. Have you ever thought about what heaven is going to be like? I think most of us have done that. But have you ever thought about who's going to be there and who's not going to be there? Have you ever thought about who's going to be doing what? And even more to the point, have you thought about who's going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Who is Christ going to honor? Who is Christ going to acknowledge and reward in the kingdom of heaven? Well, our text tonight reveals to us that this very idea was something that was very much on the minds of Jesus' disciples just the night before his crucifixion. So much so that Luke says in verse 24, he draws attention to the fact that this particular issue of who's going to be the greatest of all of us, who have followed Christ, who's going to be the most honored in the kingdom of God? That issue became a bone of contention with the disciples. To fully understand this scene and and this record of, of Luke's account here, we need to remember two preliminary details. The first is, when this took place, and the second is where it took place. As to the when, the first time I I looked at this, and even Wednesday night when I was talking about what was coming up, I was thinking to myself, how could the disciples possibly be thinking about this right after the Lord's Supper? right after celebrating the Passover meal with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I began to look a little deeper, and I remembered what I've said so many times, Luke is not chronological. This particular event actually takes place before the Passover, and most likely would have taken place as soon as they entered into the upper room. That brings us to the where. This was the upper room that Jesus has sent these disciples to find and to prepare for the Passover. It was, look at verse 12, a furnished room. That means that everything they needed in order to observe the Passover, was there. 
And as they had been walking back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem for several days now, multiple times, the first thing they needed was to wash their hands and feet. Now keep in mind, the streets of Jerusalem were not asphalt. They didn't have nice concrete sidewalks to walk on. These people had been walking through dirt streets for days. The first thing they needed was to wash their feet. The basin was there. It was provided. The water was there. The towels were there. But the one thing that wasn't there was a servant to take care of the lowly task of washing the feet of the guest. Common experience in their day. The question then becomes, who among the disciples was going to humble themselves and perform the lowly task of washing the feet of the Lord Jesus and his fellow disciples. Well, we're going to come back to that. We know that they, none of them, were willing to do that. Instead, the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the most honored in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus takes this opportunity and proceeds to teach them and to show them what greatness means. What greatness in the sight of God looks like. And he wants to show them that that greatness does not need to wait till we get to glory. It starts right now in our attitude and in our actions. And those are our first two points. First, the attitude of true servants of Christ. Now, beginning in verse 25, the Lord Jesus shows us two things. He shows us what greatness is not, And then he shows us what greatness is. He begins, first of all, to say greatness in the kingdom of God is not what you're thinking. And he uses the example of the present day. Jesus says, among the Gentiles, or to put it another way, among the world and its unbelievers, kings. In other words, those who have risen to the the pinnacle of honor and glory and power, kings, those who are the highest, those who are the greatest among men of their generation. They, what do they do? They exercise lordship. They take particular delight in giving commands, in saying to this one, do this, and to that one, go there. Remember how the centurion, when he comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant, says, I'm a man of authority. 
I tell this one to come, and he comes. I tell this one to go, and he goes. He gives commands, and people listen to that. And that is what Jesus says here. It shows their authority. It shows their control. And people, this is what people in authority do. We see it in multi, uh, multiple ways in our own society. So parents, much to the, the chagrin of their children, often must tell their children, you may do this, but you may not do that. They are in authority. And they tell their children what they can and what they cannot do. When you're driving down the street and this black SUV pulls in behind you and it's got blue lights flashing all around, you'd know that the person behind you is in authority and he is telling you, pull over. We see it in many different ways. They exercise lordship over us. When you go into work, Your employer says, I want you to do this and this and this. He is in authority over you. And he exercises that authority by giving commands. But that's not all. They also, Jesus tells us, like to be called benefactors. And we don't use that word very often, but essentially what Jesus is saying is they want to be recognized. They want to be honored. They want to be addressed with titles of respect and honor. If you happen to be one of the many high school students who work at Chick-fil-A, And you go into work. You don't come walking up and say, Hey, Chucky, my man, what's going on? You come up and you say, Mr. Step, what would you like for me to do? You show respect. You show honor. Jesus says, this is the way people in the world think. This is the way, this is what their attitude is, that they want honor, they want respect, they want to exercise their authority. But Jesus says in the kingdom of God, that's not greatness. That's not the sign of greatness. So what greatness is not, And now Jesus says what greatness is. In God's eyes, true greatness, notice what he says, is when you think of yourself as the younger. Or when you act like one who serves. Now neither of these two phrases perhaps register with us in the way that they would have Jesus' audience. Jesus is addressing a culture where the older you were, the more respect and honor you were shown. 
You know, as a boy, I was taught when you're seated in a room and a woman walks into the room, you stand up to show respect. I was taught that as a young boy, when an older person walked into the room, you stood up as a means of respect. I never knew that that came right out of the Bible. I don't know how many of you are are familiar with the words of Leviticus 19 and verse 13. When God commands his people, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. You're showing honor and respect to the elderly was a reflection of your faith and trust in the Lord. And God commanded that that honor be shown. And so in Jesus' day, the younger you were, the more insignificant you were. We see this if you want to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And to the situation when Samuel is sent to, to Jesse to anoint a new king over Israel. And Samuel comes and he has the feast and he calls for the sons of Jesse. And the first one is Eliab. He is the oldest. And the Lord says, not him. And then Abinadab. And the Lord says, not him. And then Shammah. And the Lord says, not him. And so with seven sons that Jesse had brought to the feast, none of them were chosen. And Samuel says, are all the young men here? And Jesse says, well, um, there's one more, the youngest. And we didn't think to invite him. He's the youngest son. Why would we invite him? He's insignificant. He's just a shepherd boy. And of course, that was David, who was then anointed king. But you see the point. In that day, the youngest was considered insignificant. Now listen, Jesus is not saying that children are insignificant or not important. We could, we could go through a host of passages where Jesus highlights the value, the importance, the significance of young children. His point is that in the world, those who are great think of themselves very highly. They enjoy using their authority. They enjoy receiving honor from men. But Jesus wants his disciples, then and now, to understand that in the kingdom of God, things are radically different. My friends, greatness is not in rising to the top in the eyes of men. It's stooping to the lowest in the eyes of men. Jesus 
says greatness is shown by being humble, of thinking of yourself as the youngest son, of thinking of yourself as one who is the lowly servant willing to wash the feet of the guests who have come into the house. Well, Jesus does not stop there. He takes this lesson a step farther. And he says, it's not only your attitude, how you think about yourself, but it's your actions. So the second aspect here are the actions of the servant of Christ. Now, listen, your role, your position in your home, in the school you go to, whether it be homeschool or public school or private school, um, your, your place in the workplace and in employment has a lot to say about you. You might be one of many students attending a particular school. Or you might be one of many workers who are engaged in employment in a particular company. Or you might be the class president. Or perhaps you are a professor or a teacher. Or perhaps you're a supervisor at work. You could be one of many or you could have risen to a place of significance in your respective sphere. But Jesus says no matter who you are, your actions will show your greatness. You might be great in the eyes of men, but that is not necessarily the same as being great in the eyes of God. Look at verse 27 of our text. Who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? So Jesus asked this question, who's, who's the greater? Is it the master of the house who comes in and sits down and expects to receive his meal and be served? Or is it the one who is actually doing the service? Jesus, of course, answers his own question. Is it not the one who sits at the table, who reclines at the table? He's the greater one. And yet Jesus says, here I am, the Lord of glory the eternal second person of the Godhead in flesh, and I am among you as the lowest. I am among you as one who serves. Now, I said we would come back to the whole idea of foot washing. If you want to look at that, it's found in John 13. And most of us are familiar with this account. We know what happens. None of the disciples are willing to humble themselves, to bow down and to wash the feet of their fellow disciples, not even of the Lord. But Jesus takes the towel, wraps it around himself, and stoops to the lowest, most menial task of washing the feet filthy feet of his disciples. 
So while they are arguing and thinking and acting like they're someone special, too good to bow down and do this lowly task, here the Lord, who is greater than all of them, takes the role of a servant. He gets down on his hands and knees and begins to wash the disciples' feet. I think it was at a banner conference, but I can't remember, and I don't remember the details of the story. So if any of you recognize it and know those details, please fill me in afterwards. But the story was told. It was either a seminary president or a college-level president. And... The students were all given different tasks to do in the school to take care of things that needed to be taken care of. And one day they realized none of us have the job of cleaning the toilets in the bathroom. But they're always clean. Who's doing it? Are you? No. Are you? No. And then one of the students happened to go into the bathroom at two in the morning. And there was the college president on his hands and knees cleaning the toilets. That's kind of the picture we have here. Jesus humbling himself, the Lord of glory, the king And he's down there washing the feet of the disciples. True greatness, my friends, in the sight of God is seen in the way you think about yourselves and in the acts of service that you do for Christ and for the church. To think of yourself as a servant is a major step but to act the part of the servant that is true likeness to Jesus reminded me of a quote of Robert Murray McShane when he wrote to one of his fellow ministers who had just been ordained to minister in Germany And McShane wrote him and said, It is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Then you will take the role of a servant. If you understand what is happening here and what Jesus is communicating to his disciples, it is simply that greatness in the kingdom of God is not telling others what to do. It's not other people acknowledging all your hard work and praising you and honoring you in the presence of others. Listen, we all enjoy that. But that's not greatness. 
Greatness in the kingdom of God is thinking of yourself as a servant, humbling yourself, and in actions serving your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now listen, if you're not quite sure what that looks like, Maybe you could just take the rule that Jesus gave us. Do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Look around. Look around this room tonight. Who's not here? Take the time to contact them. Telephone call, email, text message. Just want, I missed you Sunday night. I wanted to be sure everything's okay. Maybe you know everything's not okay. Take the time to show an interest in those people. Look around at those who are here and take an interest in them. Who do you see? You see an elderly person. Honor them. Take an interest in them. Do you see a widow who, who has few friends, who has no one to care for her? Take an interest. Make a phone call. Express a desire to help, to encourage. So use the opportunities that you have even here in this place. So when you see someone who, who feels out of place, a a visitor for the first time. Listen, they don't know anyone in the room. Make a point to go to them and greet them and speak to them and show an interest in them. Just simple things of reaching out. I mentioned in, in prayer, I meant to mention it at the very beginning that Mike Cuneo is in the country for six to eight weeks for Uh, intensive therapy in California. This might be a good week to write him and to tell him that you're praying for him. Think about our missionaries and how little contact they have with other Christians in many cases. Pray for them. Be diligent in those prayers. Reach out to them. Contact them. Do all that you can to Take the role of a servant and minister to one another. Well, let's look at our third point, and that is the approval of the servants of Christ. Verses 28 through 30 provide us with the more I have read this and the more I have thought about it, the more I have been amazed at what we have here. An amazing and exceptionally helpful element regarding our humility and our service to God. Jesus, in an astounding display of approval for those who serve him, tells them, you are those who have been with me in my trials And I bestow upon you a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my 
table. Now, I don't know about you, but I expect you're very much like me when I, when I stop and think about this whole idea of rewards and honor from the lips of Christ for what little I've done. I, I'm like Jacob in Genesis 32 crying out, Lord, I am, I am not worthy of the least of your mercies and of all the truth that you have made known to me. Is that not the way you feel? We're not worthy of that. And yet here is Jesus saying, I am going to give you not just a city or two, but a kingdom. I'm going to give you a kingdom. And in that kingdom, you are going to sit at my table. And you are going to eat and drink with me. As I said Wednesday night, this is the Isaiah 58, 14 of the New Testament. This is the highest, greatest, most inconceivable blessing that God promises his people. To have fellowship with them, to sit at table with them, to eat and drink with them. And Jesus says, this is what I do for those who serve me. That makes these closing verses verses even more profound. Jesus tells these weak, faltering disciples, you have been with me. They were not perfect. His words must have stung them sharply when they failed to humble themselves and serve one another, and he had to do it. But even at that moment, our Savior seeks to encourage, and he approves of what they've done. They were not perfect. We are not perfect. But it's not about being perfect. It's about our Savior being gracious to us, bestowing a kingdom upon us so that we may eat and drink with him at his table. That strikes me as some of the most unspeakable encouragement and expression of God's unmerited favor to us. All the promises of the covenant are ours because of the grace of Christ. We deserve nothing. You remember how Matthew records this towards the end of of his gospel in Matthew 25. If you want to turn back, Matthew 25. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, in verse 31, then all nations are going to be divided before him, and he is going to tell those sheep of his, come, verse 34, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a day coming when you and I are going to hear those words. Come, you blessed of my Father, 
and inherit the kingdom has been prepared for you. But then what Jesus goes on to say, remember how he puts it, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they say, <laughs> when? We, we don't remember that. When, when were you hungry and we gave you something to eat? You remember what Jesus said? Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. I think the words of our shorter catechism about what benefits believers receive at the resurrection immediately apply. Believers at the resurrection will be raised up in glory and listen, openly acknowledged Jesus is going to say, this is mine. This one is mine. This one is mine. You and you and you are mine. We are going to be openly acknowledged by Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. And acquitted, declared not guilty for any ways in which we have failed and sinned against him. Not because of us, but because of him. What is greatness in the sight of God? Jesus tells us, and he shows us, and he assures us that that greatness will continue for all eternity by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you as we hear these words. Lord, we may tremble at the thought of how far short we come and yet how encouraged we can be that our Savior in his sufficiency of grace will bestow honor and glory and acknowledge us on the day of judgment. What a blessed day that will be. Lord, help us to be servants to one another and so model the very image of Christ in the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.